Hi everyone, I'm Annika and this is the Tried and Truth Podcast. Welcome back to another episode. Thanks for taking me along wherever we get to go together today or whatever you're doing. Thanks for bringing me along with you. You're all in for a treat today and what a joy it is to be with you today and share this interview. By far has been one of my favorites. We are sitting down with executive coach John Krychek who is not only a coach who focuses his work around emotional intelligence and mindfulness, but is also a retired executive professor and has coached thousands of professionals on communication, self-awareness, emotional, social intelligence, professional presence, and also happens to be a musician and an artist and a meditation teacher. And the list goes on because he is incredible and has so much wisdom to share with you today. So if you are looking for greater awareness in your life, want to unpack emotional intelligence and what that means for you, this is your episode. So without further ado, take a listen. John Krychek, thank you so much for being here. So excited to have you. It is a pleasure and an honor, Annika. Thank you. You are a man of many skills and many traits, and I know right now your world is in executive coaching, but I would just love for everyone to have the the pleasure of learning a little bit about your journey to there and what you do today. Well, uh, I'll I'll try to make that brief because it could take up our entire hour, frankly. you know, part of this is that I'm old, you know, I've been around for a long time. So I've had the opportunity to do a lot of things. And part of it is that I have, I've always been interested in a wide variety of things. Ever since I was a child, you know, I just, I can't imagine being bored. I don't understand that. I I just, it doesn't compute for me. Uh, I've always been someone who is really, really fascinated with, with discovering new things, uh, with exploring. And so that's ended up playing out in a very significant way in my life. Um, sometimes when I tell people all the things that, you know, I've done, they think I must be lying or I must be, you know, schizophrenic or something. But, uh, reality is I've just, I've been around a long time and explored a lot of different things. And I've, fortunately, I've, I've felt the freedom to be able to do those things. So some of the things that I'm talking about, um, I'm actually, let's see, in undergraduate, I was a, let me go back even before that. Um, uh, no, let's start there. Let's start in undergraduate. I was a double major in English and philosophy. And I thought I wanted to be a philosophy professor at one point. Um, I've always been kind of interested in a life of the mind and uh, one who spent a lot of time in my youth, you know, uh, daydreaming and reading a lot and, and thinking a lot. In the StrengthsFinder uh, assessment, which I know you're familiar with, uh, four out of my top five strengths are in this thinking, strategic thinking domain. Fascinating. Okay. Um, which is a strength and a weakness, by the way. We can get into into that if you want to later. But uh, uh, I also was um, uh, a scholarship golfer at that time and was seriously considering turning pro and playing on uh, trying to play on the PGA Tour. And some of my my mates at the time did end up doing that, but I, I didn't. Uh, then I went and got a master's degree in accounting, and I became a CPA and a tax accountant and worked for what was then the big eight and uh, had a had a career in that field for a while eventually made my way back to english and did phd work in literature uh by the way didn't finish that phd i was working on my dissertation when uh there at maze or at uh, texas a&m university uh where i met you 
And while I was working on my dissertation, someone in the business school said, found out about me that there's this guy here who on campus who has a master's in accounting and is a CPA and, and is over there in English teaching writing and offered me the, the job of being a, a business communication professor at, at Mays. And um, it was the perfect job opportunity for me because it was uh, an opportunity to take the you know, the business side of my, my past and my experience and the, the writing side and the kind of the thinking side and, and, and marry them into one thing. And so I've had a blast. Uh, I retired from, from that gig uh, this past August. And I'm sure we'll get into some of the things that I taught in that class. I didn't just teach business communications, even though that was my, my job title. Um, you know, I got into emotional intelligence in a big way and into mindfulness in a big way and into just what I like to call presence in, in a big way. Uh, but, but that's some of the things that I've done. Now, I've also been a musician my whole life and really started getting kind of serious about that about five years ago. And I've got music out on Spotify and I've got a couple of bands and I play gigs. I played a gig this a uh, couple of days ago on, on Saturday um, here in town. So um, I'm keeping busy with that. I'm also a painter. I, um, I have had a bunch of gallery shows and sell a lot of paintings and have a lot of fun making paintings. Uh, so is that enough? <laughs> I'm just in awe. I knew a lot of these pieces, but I didn't realize how many more pieces that there are. And I, I think not even just for myself, but for anybody listening, you know, you mentioned that four of your top five strengths are thinking strengths, but all mm -hmm. the things you've mentioned are, are doing things. These mm -hmm. are things, I mean, before we even get into, I know a lot of the content we're going to be talking about today, I would just love to know, like, how do you continue to say yes to those things? We know we've got limited time. And mm -hmm. I think so many people feel like this is what I have to do. This is what I have to be. And that's all I can be. And yeah. I, I personally know and, and believe in the both and mentality that it doesn't have to be either or. But I would love for you just to shed some light on this both and world because you seem to have mastered the way to do everything from music to golf to painting to coaching. <laughs> And do yeah. it well. Oh, thank you. Uh, well, I think part of it is I'm just wired that way. Uh, I, I definitely am one who believes that we we can rewire our brains. We can change. I, I when someone tells me, "Oh, this is just me. This is just who I am," I, I have my doubts when I hear that. Um, yeah, that's probably true in with respect to a lot of traits. But I think we can we can change our brains, and we should get into that. But at the same time, I do think we have certain proclivities by nature, and there's no question about it. And and I think that's just one of mine. I just I love new things. I love, uh, you know. I said I can't imagine being bored. Maybe the problem is actually that I get bored too easily. You know that I if I'm doing something like accounting or like golf or like painting or like music, maybe I get so bored with it so quickly that I have to go find something new and refreshing. You know to do. I don't know. But in terms of how to do it, and this may be useful to some of the listeners. I think it's really critical that we are organized. And that that might sound uh, obvious, but let's talk about that for a second, because I think most people don't realize how important that is. Um, so your listeners can't see the image on the screen here, but you can see all my guitars hanging on the wall. I don't have guitars in a case in the closet. They're right there on the wall. So if I get inspired, if I want to play, I can grab that guitar. Sometimes, you know, uh, my wife and my daughter get to bed and it's late and I 
um, you know, I might have enough energy to stay up for a little bit longer. Okay, let's grab five minutes, 10 minutes and, and work on a song that I'm, I've been working on, for example. Uh, so I think you have to organize your life so that it's easy to easier to shift. You know, when we shift from one task to another, a lot of research tells us that we're, you know, multitasking is is not quite as efficient as we tend to think it is because of the switching costs. And most people have heard about that by now. I think that's also works on the grand scheme too. If if you have several things going in your life, you've got to organize your yourself such that that switching cost is 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 minimal. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. Other than that, I'm just fascinated. I, I'm just really lucky, and, and I don't. I, I think of it that way. I'm just very fortunate, Annika. I'm, I'm lucky to be interested in a lot of different things. I think that visual example is so cool. I'm such a visual person, and I think just the, the example of the guitars. I think we've got to make it easier to do the things that we love. Yes. I think we put our own barriers in our way. Like you said, we, we have it covered in a closet and the thought of having to go upstairs, take it out of the closet, open it up, get it all ready. It's like, That's it's right. ready to go when you're ready. And That's when right. that creativity flows and that energy comes, it's make it easy to do the things that inspire you so that you can continue to inspire others. Yes. So I, yes. I love that, that visual example. Let's talk about, you mentioned kind of just presence. It's one of the big things that in, in all of these things that you enjoy doing, both the creative side and, and more of the analytical business side, all the way from, from CPA to, to business school, you know, how do you manage to be present in each of those things? You know, I think mm. there's business presence, professional presence, but there's also this micro element of that that is present in the here and now. So I would love for you just to speak a little bit about presence, small scale and okay. professional presence, big okay. scale. <laughs> sure. Yeah. And, and, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. There's, you know, there's, uh, it's not an accident that those words are etymologically connected presence and present. Uh, now when we're talking about someone's presence and whether you stage presence or, uh, professional presence or whatever you want to talk about, whatever qualifier or word you want to use, being present is just one element of that. It, it, it has to do with a lot of things, uh, but it's very much connected to that. But then the, the, the word present, being present, and I think that's more what you're interested in right now, uh, it's becoming more and more difficult because our culture is training us to not be present. Uh, just using a simple example, you know, I'm old enough that when I grew up, there were three television channels. That was it. No internet, no cell phones, uh, typewriters and landlines and three television channels. And, you know, a lot of younger people say, oh, my God, you know, that must have been awful. No, it wasn't. It was what we knew. Now, I love the technology. I love the availability of so many things like podcasts and and streaming audio and and a million television channels, etc. I think it's fantastic. And and I love my iPhone. But but we also have to recognize there's a downside. And, and one of the downsides to this explosion of technology, which has so changed all of our lives, is that it's more and more difficult for us to be present. The, the, um, I sometimes say uh, it's almost like we're all a little bit ADD. And I, when I say that, I, I, I say that um, cautiously because I, I, I want to honor those who have a, you know, a, a true uh, medical diagnosis. I'm, I don't mean to you know, minimize that. 
so I say it a little bit in quotes, we all are a little bit distracted most of the time because there's so many things. Oh my God, you know, it's so easy. You wake up and you pop into your phone and just think about that. And and it's changed the workplace so much too. We can get so much done and we can stay connected so much. I have I have clients, for example, who work for large international companies and they tell me that when they go to bed at night, they have their phones on the bedside table and it's the ringer is on and they go to sleep knowing that if that phone rings because they do business internationally and, and you know, it's it's one o'clock in the afternoon, always somewhere and that that they know if that phone rings, they've got to wake up and be fully present for that call. I don't think they're sleeping well. Uh, you know, I, I just don't. Absolutely. So so there's so many we could continue to talk about this, but I think most people probably get that point that because we're all so busy. I mean, that's the most common thing you hear today when you ask someone, how are you doing? It's either fine. Right. And by the way, fine is an acronym and it stands for feelings inside, not expressed. Love that. Uh, or, no, I've never heard that one before. I do like that one. <laughs> or busy. How are you doing? Oh, I'm busy. We're all busy all the time. Uh, and, and that's great, but, but let's not ignore the fact that it makes it more and more difficult for us to be fully present. What does it mean to be fully present uh, other than the obvious? Well, it means that I am here now. I'm not lost in thought. I am aware of the fact that I'm here now. Uh, I'm not lost in planning for the future. That doesn't mean I shouldn't plan for the future or can't, but you should be present while you're planning for the future. It, it uh, means I'm not lost in the past. You know, someone said something to you this morning that, that hurt your feelings a little bit all day long. Rewind, play, rewind, play, rewind, play. What is that? Have you noticed that, that, you know, you sometimes get those things. It's almost like the, it's almost like the sore tooth and you say, I'm going to stop, I'm going to stop messing with that tooth with my tongue. And yet, to 10 seconds later, you go back to it. It's, it's very similar with a lot of the way that our mind works. We keep getting out of the present moment and getting in, caught in, in different loops. So it takes a real effort. It takes an effort to be present. It takes intention. It takes uh, the commitment to doing it. Meditation is one way that, that I've cultivated that state of mind, but there are other ways to do it. Uh, and and you think about, for example, we might just use listening as an example. You, we all know that listening is a valuable trait, that, that it's important to be a good listener. One of the things we definitely, none of us want to be known as a poor listener. How can you be a good listener without being present? You, you can't. You can't. You have to be fully here now. If, if for example, as, as you're talking, if I'm rehearsing what I'm going to say next, I'm not plugged in. I'm not fully present for you, right? I'm not really here listening to you. I'm, I'm kind of part, part of my attention is in my mind rehearsing what I'm going to say next. Uh, so we've got to train ourselves to let go, let go of that. Uh, be, become aware of how distracted our minds are and then train ourselves to notice it and let go of it. And it's, it's something we'll never master, but if, we're, if it's something that's important to us, if we want to be fully present for the people who we love and who we cherish, if we want to be fully present for our activities of our life, if we want to be truly happy, by the way, a lot of research out of Harvard and other places is telling us that happiness levels are absolutely connected with our ability to be present. 
that those who tend to be distracted are less happy than those who tend to be present. If we want all those things, then we've got to dedicate ourselves to, to sort of rewiring our brains, offsetting that barrage of distraction that comes from the culture and learn to be present. I resonate with that on so many levels. I mean, I know there's times, especially just in different stages of, of my career, you know, having, having kids where I have to tell myself, be, pre be in this moment, capture this capture this moment look at what you're seeing like use all your senses feel what you're feeling see what you're seeing take a picture in your brain <laughs> feel these emotions because it just you you miss you miss so much of it and it's like you said it's rewiring your brain to not think of all the other things you have to do and uh, another thing that comes to mind is we had this fabulous exercise i picked up from somebody else so I don't know who it was, but thank you to whoever it was who taught us this, because we have taught this to probably thousands of people over the course of my career. But an exercise on on listening that really brings that point home is, let's say you're you're the ABCs and I'm numbers. You would say your alphabet. I would count to 26. And then we would alternate and you have to make full eye contact. So we have to keep staring each other in the eye and you're saying A and one and B and two and you get the point. And so we would yeah. stop people midway and say, okay, everybody close your eyes, moment of confession. Everybody turn to the front and keep your eyes closed and raise your hand if you can tell us what you were on. Everybody raise their hand. Like, I know what I was on. Raise, keep your hand raised if you can tell us what your partner was on. Yeah. And the hands go down because you know your agenda and you know what you're going to say next, especially working with a lot of medical professionals. Somebody comes in, you already know what they got. You've already right. got the lab results. That's right. <laughs> you already know. And so, yeah. you know, letting that practice of it where you start to realize even in simple things like a simple exercise, we have our own agenda and we have our own thought patterns and thought process. And it was just always great. I mean, for me, I, we did that almost every single week with at least one or two groups of people. And that exercise always challenged me to, like you said, it's like, we have two ears for a reason and mm -hmm. use that to really be in the moment and yeah. in tune yeah. with, with what's around us. So good. So, you know, I know a lot of the work that you do in, around the communication elements and and presence really roots in emotional intelligence. And I, I think the topic is so fascinating because I think everyone can very quickly and easily raise a hand and say, I know exactly, yeah, emotional intelligence. Yep, being aware, aware. But then you ask people, what, is, what does that mean to you? How do you improve it? How, where do you fall in the levels of emotional intelligence? What are you working on? And, and then they just get stumped there. So I think mm -hmm. people know about it. So I would, I would love for us to actually unpack, practically speaking, why number one like greater awareness now and just unpacking what does that mean and what is that how can we learn from that and become better because of it yeah um i'm i'm right now in the middle of writing a curriculum for a a major uh a corporation here they wanted me to write an eight-hour emotional intelligence curriculum for them which is pretty exciting for me i'm really happy to do it and grateful and i I started off thinking, gosh, how am I going to fill up eight hours? And now <laughs> now in the middle of it, I'm like, could you give me two day, two, eight hours? It, there's so much here. Uh, I'll try, I'll try to be brief and, and respond to your, your, uh, your setup there. Well, I do think most people have a misunderstanding of it. It's kind of like mindfulness. Another word that is very uh, much in 
you know, in vogue right now. And most people sort of know what it means, but when you really dig and push on them, you realize they don't really know what it means. There's a lot of misunderstanding about what emotional intelligence is. Uh, let me see. Uh, I don't want to reinvent the wheel here, but let me start by just saying, let's, let's think about what an emotion is because most people immediately go to uh, the big emotions, right? Anger. Okay. If you, if you appeal to people and say, well, you know, I, a lot of people have anger management issues. Okay. Got it. Or sadness, you know, profound sadness. You, you, one of your parents dies or whatever, and you go through a period of grief. They end, oh yeah, that's an emotional time or joy. Maybe you're, you know, your team won the game and you're, you're excited and you're jumping up and down and high-fiving people around you. Okay. I, I understand that emotion. But they kind of, most people kind of segment it off as if it's something special. It's, it's like the, you know, it's not your normal everyday thing. Those are little peak moments or low moments or whatever. But the reality is we all have emotional currents running through us all the time. Mm -hmm. And most of us are not very aware of, the, of those emotional currents. Uh, so how can we possibly regulate them? Because we're not aware of them. They're there and they're driving our behavior. Uh, but but most people are not even aware that they're there. I like to think of it as kind of like software that's running in the background. It's always running, but you normally, you know, you don't, you're not aware of it. It's, it as long as everything's working, uh, you're not even aware of it. That's interesting. And, and so a lot of times the felt emotions, the big, bigger, more felt emotions come because that something's going wrong with that software. But uh, you could really extend that analogy. But um so, so part of what emotional intelligence is, is A, understanding what emotions are, kind of recognizing the fact that we do have them. They're not just those big moments. They're, they're uh, absolutely a part of our mental activity pretty much 24-7. Becoming more and more aware of those emotions and then being able to regulate them to some extent. Uh, this, is, this is one way that emotional intelligence differs from IQ. IQ is fixed for the most part. You can learn new stuff, but your IQ is going to be your IQ, whereas emotional, what we call emotional intelligence, the traits there, uh, are absolutely, you can change. You know, earlier we were talking about rewiring the brain. This is an example. You can absolutely rewire the brain in this way. Uh, so uh, let me back up and, and, and lay something on you that, that um, I think is really fascinating. There's some relatively new research, and I wish I could remember the researcher's name. Maybe we'll we'll uh, uh, capture this later and you can put it in the notes for this uh, podcast. But uh, she is really challenging the tradition about what emotions are. And in a nutshell, here's what she says. You can go back to sort of real basic organisms, maybe even organisms that didn't have a brain yet. And there's some system, there's some system that recognizes stimulus coming in right? Uh, if something is, it's starting to get darker or something's attacking it or whatever, that triggers something internally that says, oh, I, I need to care about something that's going on outside of me and I need to respond in some way. Now, you take that and fast forward, you know, how many thousands of years to the human brain. A lot of what we call emotions are feeling that outside world, sensing what's going on outside of us. We have inputs coming in, a lot of a lot of those things we're just not aware of. We don't have we don't devote conscious attention to them, but they're coming in and we are sensing them and we're responding to them. Now, then what happens? We have those raw inputs, 
And that creates a feeling inside of some sort. It creates a response, an internal response. You're responding just like that, that basic organism, that little worm or whatever, some sort of response to what's going on in the external world. What happens now with humans is we then turn that into an emotion. Our brain turns that into emotion. Oh, it is a threat. I'm going to respond with fear and anxiety. Or it's something that makes me feel good. I'm going to respond with some feeling of warmth and, 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 and joy. The cool thing about when you reframe it that way is you realize that emotions are sort of made up by the brain. They're created by the brain which means we can change them. We can change the way we respond to the, to the world. I can take what normally would be anxiety and I can, uh, I can change that into determination. I can take what normally might uh, cause fear and, and turn that into motivation. You know, there, there's a lot of ways that we can, as long as we, we understand that, it's not easy, by the way. I'm not suggesting this. Oh, I know. You're anxious. <laughs> Just turn that into determination. It's really hard. I want to acknowledge that. It's really hard, but it's doable. It's doable. And, it, and, it's, and uh, uh, you know, those neural pathways have been, they've been grooved. And so it's not going to be easy to change them, but you can change the way you respond to the outside world. So I've gone a little far afield. Let me just wrap up by saying that uh, getting back to a more classical definition of emotional intelligence, I love the, the Daniel Goleman four-part model, which is, uh, involves the binaries of self and other and awareness and understanding. So there's a, if you think about the model, then there's four parts to it. There's self-awareness, self-regulation or self-management, awareness of others, and then social skills. So that's kind of the, the general, the general uh, model for emotional intelligence. And I've said a lot. Rain me in, Annika. What where should we go next? So, you know, I'm curious just in, in your coaching experience and you've had a chance to work with so many high performing, whether it's, you know, in academics or in with students or with clients, where do you find people really struggle the most? If we're looking at those four elements, is it self-awareness? Is it awareness of how they engage with others? Like, where do you feel like people today are just hitting a wall and obviously not even aware, or maybe they are. Yeah, I think it's, I would say it's self-awareness. And, and by the way, if you think about those four components, self-awareness, self-management, awareness of others and social skills, uh, the research tells us that the, the most important one there is self-awareness in the sense that if you don't, if you don't have self-awareness, you're not going to have self-management. I mean, that's pretty obvious, right? But it also turns out that if you don't have self-awareness, you don't have very good awareness of others. And then you're not going to have good social skills because, I mean, social skills, obviously, I need awareness of myself and I need awareness of, of the people around me. Uh, listening skills would fall into that category, for example. But so I would say self-awareness is where we've got to do most of our most people need to do the work and and the others will follow. As I become more and more self-aware, I think it's a natural progression that I, I, I learn to manage myself better. I need to regulate. I become better at regulating my emotions, at regulating my responses to the world around me, at, at, at tuning into other people. Uh, and then social skills are almost just like the, the benefit of all that. It just, it naturally flows from there. Uh, your social skills are clearly going to get better as you become more self-aware and more aware of others. What are some so, practical ways that, that you find are helpful for people to really get a baseline of 
how aware am I of yeah. how I yeah. engage with others and just how I regulate, manage all of that? Yeah, you have to get feedback, right? We're all, we are all pretty delusional uh, about ourselves. I mean, there's just no question. I, I can't know how, I can't see you through, see me through your eyes. I, you know, I can only know the world through my own eyes, but I can approximate how others take me and others see me if I get feedback. I've got to be open. So feedback is king here. I've got to find ways to get honest, valuable input from people. Uh, you know, what do you see when you see me? Now, I also am a big believer in in assessments um, from Strengths Finder to Myers Briggs to uh, uh, you name it. There's a lot of them, but also doing 360s where you get a formal. If it, you know 360s often are not very well done. And so they're not that useful. But if you can create a honest situation where people are anonymous and they give you absolute honest input, there it is so valuable because you have a report in your hands that tells you this isn't who you are, but this is how people see you. And, and so that allows you to start, you know, becoming more and more aware and more and, and better and better at regulating the way I interact with people. So to increase your self-awareness, I think it's reflection. You've got to set up some way to kind of make sense of your experience, get off the busy train and think about, reflect on how you're doing. You know, and that could come from the form of after action reviews. You know, after this call, you and I should probably stop and reflect for a minute. How did I do? What could I have done better? Uh, it can be bigger picture, like you finish a project or something and you have a formal, maybe with a group, a team, and you have a formal after action review. Uh, it can come in the form of just, you know, some sort of, daily or frequent sit sit down and clear your mind and just kind of make sense of your experience. It can also come through meditation, uh, which is a, a form of reflection. It's a little bit different than than reflection. And we could we could talk about that if you want to. So it's it's reflection, it's feedback, it's seeking out feedback from people. And feedback comes in we normally think of feedback as you sit down with someone and say, can you tell me how I'm doing? Can you give me some input? Yeah, that's one form of feedback, but but an assessment is another one. A uh, you know a psycho psychometric kind of assessment is another way to get feedback. Also, just kind of improving your radar, watching people's faces a little bit more will tell me how I'm doing. You know, as a and that was easy as a teacher, as a professor. If you're standing in front of the class and you see people nodding out and clearly not <laughs> listening, you know that's feedback, right? That's feedback. That means I've got to I've got to do something to get their attention. So. So you've kind of got to be plugged in to get that feedback. So it's reflection, it's feedback. Uh, and um, I would say that's the, 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 the big two, but you've, you, you've got to, you've got to care about this. You know, you've got to say, I want to be more self-aware and I am going to do it. And it's, 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 it's a skill. I encourage people to think of it as a skill. Uh, it's something you cultivate. It's something just like riding a bike or playing a musical instrument. The more you work on it, the better you get at it, you know? I completely agree. I mean, I think people don't realize that just focusing on that root of your own self-awareness, the impact that that can have exponentially in every other area of your life, your relationships, yeah. your marriage, your professional career, your, uh, how you lead people. Um, I mean, just every, every single area starts with you. I do believe that I believe yeah. everything starts with you. And I think so, so much of it is that we don't either create the space to think about those things. I think we, we don't want to hear what we don't want to hear because it requires us to do something. 
which requires energy and effort. And I, I think we are a little too much of a convenience-driven society, which is great in some elements, but in others, I think it, it hinders us a lot from um, being honest. And I, I'm reading a book right now, I was talking about, you know, I think we're, we're becoming a very vulnerable culture and we, we see that as a big positive trait in the professional world, but we have lost this transparent, honest piece to vulnerability. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the piece that we don't want to expose those things about us that our weaknesses. Mm-hmm. When you talk about the 360 review, I remember the first one I ever opened, maybe one of the first one, I think it was actually the second one. And there was some feedback in there that I did not want to read. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I already knew what I was going to say. I had a, I had a little bit of a hint of what it was going to say. And, you know, I, I know where those levels of, of weakness are. And I, I think we don't want to face that sometimes because we know right. it requires us to have conversations, to do some work on ourselves and also to do work on repairing relationships. But you said, like you said, you have to want it. You have to want to be better. You have to want to have an impact. You have to want to also lead other people around you, not just in a workplace, but in your life and, and help in that area. I'd love for you to share a little bit around meditation because I think meditation scares a lot of people. I think people think I need two hours in utter silence. And when a thought comes across my mind, then I must be not be meditating because I'm not fully in this, you know, silent moment. So I think for people that haven't meditated or maybe have tried and have shut it down because it didn't look like they imagined it to be coming from someone with all the background that you have share this a little bit about tricks to meditation and sure. for the beginner's edition. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it is. It is something that just, gosh, there's so much misconception out there. You're, you're right. I, I've heard from people so many times say things like, oh, I tried meditation. I can't do it because I keep my, I keep having thoughts. Yes, of yes. course. <laughs> you're, you're human. You're, you're going to have thoughts uh, and that's fine. Uh, so let's see. First of all, I think that one of the reasons we need meditation so much is because of the technology. And the irony is we now have meditation apps. They're lovely. They're, they're, I really highly recommend Headspace, for example. There are a few others that are good really good, but Headspace is, is really great. Uh, so part of this is disabusing yourself of some of the sort of cultural baggage about meditation. A lot of people think of meditation and they inst- their mind instantly goes to, you know, some of the cultural tra- trappings of yoga. And I, oh, do I have to wear a certain kind of clothes to do that? Do I have to burn incense? Do I have to sit on a special cushion? Is there something I'm supposed to do with my hands, you know, and, and yeah, I mean, a lot of that stuff comes out of spiritual traditions and and it can be important, but I, what I practice and I teach is a very secular form of meditation. It's just a mental training. It's going to the gym for your mind, so to speak. And so step one for me is helping people kind of get rid of some of those notions, some of those preconceived notions Mm -hmm. and just emptying your mind of that and saying, okay, let me take a look at this fresh and pretend like I know nothing about it and think of it as a mental training. Okay, I'm I'm gonna train my brain. Uh, Step two is to realize that you are not going to, as you said, you're not going to be thought free. You're not gonna be able to stay focused, for example, on the breath. That's just, that's fine. But but so, so let me give you an example of this. Let's say that I, I'm teaching someone meditation. I say, okay, we're going to find the breath, which sounds a little spooky, but all that means is, you know, where's your awareness most likely to be able to rest? Um, rest your attention at your nostrils as the air comes in and out. That's a really good place. Could be in the throat, could be in the chest, whatever. You find that place and you focus on it. Simple. Simplest instructions. 
in the world, one of the most difficult things to do. Um, so we sit and we focus on the breath. We don't think about the breath. We don't regulate the breath. We don't critique the breath. We simply use that as a neutral anchor for our awareness. Three seconds later, a thought comes in. Oh gosh, there's, oh, a thought. Well, guess what you've just done with that reaction? You've created another thought in your reaction to that thought. Mm. So I help, I try to help people say, notice the thought, if they're going to come, it's really critical that you don't then judge yourself for having a thought because now you're adding more thoughts. Don't critique it. Don't have that feeling. Of, oh gosh, I can't do this. Notice a thought. Oh, I see you thought back to the breath. 10 seconds later or less, here comes another thought. I see it. I notice it back to the breath. Even if, if, if every five seconds for a 20 minute meditation, every five seconds, you're lost in thought, you're back. You're lost in thought, you're back. That's the work. That's exactly what you should be doing. That is just like reps in the gym. You go to the gym and you do curls and that resistance when you're doing a curl makes the bicep bigger and stronger, right? This resistance of the mind not wanting to stay focused on something, losing it, coming back, losing it, coming back. Those are the reps. And over time, what happens when you do this, it becomes more and more easy for you to notice and more quickly notice when you're, when you're lost in thought. So one of the benefits right away, if you start a meditation practice, pretty quickly within a matter of weeks, you're sitting in a meeting with people and your mind starts to drift. Well, guess what? You've been practicing noticing when you're not focused you see that drift and you come back to the breath or in the case of the meeting, you notice you're lost in thought, you come back to the meeting or you're reading a book. We've all had this experience and, and suddenly you realize I've read three pages and I have no idea what I just read. All the time. <laughs> what happens with meditation is it'll still happen, but you'll notice sooner. You'll notice maybe a paragraph or maybe a page. Oh gosh, let me go back and reread this because I was lost in thought. So I like to really really simplify it and really kind of takes a, a lot of the mystery out of meditation and just say, Hey, you're just learning to be present. You're lear learning to notice when your mind drifts so, and, and then bring it back. And, and those are the reps. I don't think I've ever heard it put that simply. <laughs> and it makes so much sense because you're right. I, I think that we, we get so down on ourselves for being distracted. Like you said, I, I can't meditate. This is just not effective because yeah. I'm thinking of things, but those, those thoughts are part of how we're wired. Those thoughts are part of who we are, but it's, yeah. it's like naming it, acknowledging it and getting it under control, mm -hmm. <laughs> acknowledging where it's supposed to go and mm -hmm. acknowledging where you're supposed to be. And just building that awareness you've said in this small practice that actually amplifies its impact in other situations. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and then one of the things that can start happening too is uh, let me use the, the old analogy of the surface of water. If, if you think about water, that's choppy, you know, a lot of waves and you try to look down into that water, you're not going to see very deeply, right. Um, by virtue of all that, all that agitation, then think of a perfectly still, maybe a mountain lake that there's no wind and it's just dead still. You don't have to try to see six feet, 10 feet, 15 feet down. You just look and it's there because the water's so still. Over time, especially in meditation retreats, when you do this in a span of, you know, 12 hours a day, 15 hours a day for three or four days in a row, 
your mind starts calming down, getting more calm, more calm, more calm. And what will happen, getting back to being aware of subtle emotions, for example, subtle thoughts that we normally aren't aware of, they'll start becoming very apparent to you. You will start to get to know your own mind in a new way. You will start to really, and you don't have to try because all you have to do is calm that mind down and then all of a sudden it becomes apparent. So, you know, I've been on, I've been on meditation retreats where middle of the third day, all of a sudden I realize, oh my gosh, I have been totally unfair to that guy. I, I just made these assumptions about him. And then I've been, and I had no idea about that, but for some reason, when I got, got my mind still, I started seeing these aspects of my mind. I started seeing how my mind's working in a fresh way. And so the benefits are just so important. And, and uh, I'm on one hand, I'm really grateful that meditation is becoming more and more popular, but on the other hand, I'm, I'm distressed about the fact that it's so misunderstood and, and it really can be just a very practical tool with terrific results. Well, I think what you just said, I think so many people envision it like that, that it's this huge long day retreat and it's yeah. five days. And I think it can be for people that, that are there and they're ready for that. The whole, when the, you know, the student is ready, the teacher appears. I mean, it, it's available. It's there for for those who are ready for that. But I think there is a very granular practical thing. And we, you and I have talked about a kind of our outdoorsy yeah. that, that we love. And so just being able to visualize that, it, it's so true. You think of the choppy waters, you think of, I think so many people today are, are really longing for clarity. And I don't even know what I don't even, I don't even know what I want. I don't even know right. what right. I'm feeling. I can't even name the emotion. And you yeah. mentioned this at the beginning of, of our conversation, but I think we, we naturally gravitate towards these really big emotions, yes. but they're all these little undercurrents that, that are existing that we're not even aware, not aware of until the wind stops or the wind yeah. slows down. And we could yeah. even see spots between the choppiness mm -hmm. of our lives that slowly starts to smooth out the rest of of the water so yeah. i think that is a really just simple practical way for us to to think about meditation and to think about if we're looking for clarity or looking for those in the seasons of our life when it feels very choppy yes to still our minds and not neglect your thoughts but put your thoughts in in their proper place mm -hmm. and continue to gain that clarity that's yeah that's yeah. fascinating. And, and, and it's a practice. This is not something that that's the other sure. thing you, you, you know, you ask someone, you know, do you play piano? Yeah. I, you know, I, I, I play a little bit of piano. Well, well, the first time you sat down, could you play a song? Well, of course not. It took time. It took practice. It took teaching it. This is no different. It, it takes time. It's like driving a car. You know, the first time you drove a car, it was terribly awkward. But you, you, the more you drive, the more natural it becomes, the more you start understanding what it is you're doing. And most people, uh, uh, Sam Harris is a guy I follow quite a bit. And Sam says, most, when most people meditate, all they're doing is thinking with their eyes closed. Uh, and, mm -hmm. and when you really, we, you start realizing what it is you're doing and you get better at it, so to speak, then you can catch little snippets. You know, you miss that light. You stop at the red light and, you, okay, I've got three seconds, five seconds, 10 seconds here where I can just drop down into the body into an awareness of what's happening right here and now, let go of all that craziness that's, you know, that's spinning in my head of planning, of, of evaluating, of critiquing, just stop and what's real right now, feel your heartbeat, you know, feel your lungs, you know, what, what's, what are the sounds around you? Just be fully present. I like to do it in the shower, you know, the shower is something most people take every day and, if you just use that as an opportunity to practice, even just for a few moments where you just drop all the 
the incessant thinking and just smell. What are the, what are the smells right now? What is the sounds? How does this water sound? How, how does it feel hitting my skin? And just, it's, you know, that might still sound a little spooky to somebody like you're trying to be, you know, oh, this is so esoteric. No, it's practical. It's simple. I'm just being present for what is right here yeah. and right now. And so I think it's important that people realize you don't have to go on a meditation retreat. You don't have to devote hours and hours to this. Those things will help you get better at it more quickly, but you can learn this skill and you can practice this skill in pretty small snippets. And even like we talked about earlier, I think there's all the four quadrants of emotional intelligence and all the the need for greater awareness in all of our lives, whether it's just presence or how we show up for others and the lives of others, it it all just, like you said, starts with the practice and, and wanting to be better for ourselves and wanting to be honest and authentic with who we are so that we can show it better in all those other ways and and have greater awareness and Mm. of life. I, the thing I say so often is I think we've, you know, been given this gift of life, but so many people don't even feel alive. And it's, it's such a a misfortune. And I think so much of it is, you know, back to the very beginning of this is that we have all these distractions. Like we don't even allow ourselves to feel like all the senses, like you said, the shower is such a practical example of we, we forget to use our senses. Like, what do I see? And what do I feel? And Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. we don't, we don't want to acknowledge what is because we're thinking of everything that could be and should be and has been right will be (laughs) this is if you don't mind a perfect opportunity to bring almost everything we've talked about today into one little example of a practical kind of thing that i've taught in the past that i think could help people please share your wisdom public speaking anxiety so this this is going to touch emotional intelligence it's going to touch awareness it's going to touch mindfulness it's going to touch being present etc uh, public speaking anxiety most people have felt it some people have a real problem with it one of the things that i've learned in in teaching this for so many years is that we tend to think it's well it's shy people uh it's someone who lacks confidence uh, the better you get to know people, the more you realize pretty much everyone feels public speaking anxiety. And, and some people deal with it better than others, but, but I've just been blown away at, at the people who I would have never expected it from have admitted to me, oh gosh, I just get, you know, my, my palms get sweaty. I start, my brain starts shutting down, you know, depending on the scenario. <clears throat> so one of the ways that I've helped people deal with public speaking, speaking anxiety, and again, this is kind of brings together a lot of what we've talked about today is I, I love the analogy of turning into the skid. You're driving anyone who's driven on snow or ice. You know that if you start skidding towards something that you don't want, let's say you're skidding towards a tree on the side of the road and your car is skidding on ice towards that tree. I don't want to go there. So what's the instinct? The instinct is to turn the wheel away from it. What does that do? It increases the skid. What I have to do is I have to turn the wheel towards that tree. I don't want it, it, it. This is so counterintuitive, but I've got to do it. I've got to understand that I need to go pull the, the steering wheel towards the tree so that I can gently swerve away. Right. Same thing with public speaking anxiety. If you ignore it or pretend it's not there, you know, the old fake it till you make it syndrome. Or if you you just say, you try to fool yourself and go, oh yeah, I'm, I'm confident. I'm not nervous. I'm not nervous. Or if you just ignore it and say, oh, I don't even want to think about it. What, someone says, are you nervous? Oh, don't even say that. I only want to think about it. That's increasing the skid. Hmm. What you have to do is you have to actually turn towards it. You have to investigate your own 
anxiety. You have to become more aware of it. You have to inspect it. You have to understand it a little bit more, which gives you some control over it. So it might go like this, huh, my palms are sweaty. I've got this adrenaline shooting through my body. My legs are shaking. Oh, I know what this is. I am in fight or flight mode. Okay, I understand that my emotional brain now thinks that this is not an audience of people. This is a pack of wolves about ready to attack me. And so my body is naturally trying to protect me. Okay, that's interesting, isn't it? That's fascinating. These physiological responses to this, this, these inputs I have coming in. Uh, but your emotional brain is, is thinking that, you know, you're in big trouble and it's responding with fear. One of the fascinating physiological responses that happens in this moment, and a lot of people don't realize this, is your vision changes. Have you ever seen someone in front of a group and they have, maybe they have some notes and all of a sudden they're, they're adjusting that, that note away and try, they can't read it and suddenly they can't read their notes? Well, the reason why is when you're in flight or flight mode, your, your vision automatically adjusts. I don't need to focus here close to me. I need to focus out there where the threat is, right? I, I tell people, get fascinated. Don't ignore it. Don't turn away from it. Get fascinated by these physiological responses, by these emotional responses that you have. Be interested in them. Actually embrace them. That allows you, it's so much easier to let them go. And, and then, I, then I turn that into kind of a personification where the logical brain talks to the emotional brain and says, hey, I, I see you and I see what you're doing and you're, and you're really trying to help, but we're okay today. This is not a pack of wolves and I'm safe and, and, and thank you for trying to protect me, but, but I don't need you today. That's really good. That is really, really good. I feel like so many people have... I think just about everybody has a fear of, of public speaking. And I think, like you said, we, we naturally just want to not acknowledge what we're feeling, but what you're saying is actually name yes. what you're feeling and engage with what you're feeling. So yes, you can master is, what you're feeling and do the thing you need to do. <laughs> this is emotional intelligence, Sanka. This is, it's, it's, it's awareness and understanding of my emotions so that I can then regulate. And again, I don't mean to make this sound easy. Like, oh, it's, oh, now that I know this, I'll never be nervous again. It, it, no, of course. It's of a course. practice. It's a practice. And, and uh, you know, I, I've, been, I've been performing and, and teaching for many, many, many years, and I still get nervous. You know, I, I, I sometimes have to teach myself my own lessons. But um, uh, another tip, by, well, as long as we're on that, another tip is when you're feeling that way, get totally present. Where, where if you suddenly feel that little bit of public speaking anxiety, a little bit of that fear, just focus on something that is here and now and really focus on it. Like really focus on, on your breath, really focus on the bodily sensations. If, if let, let's say you're in a situation where you're in an intimidating room and, and, and people are going around the circle introducing themselves, you've been there and, and you're sitting there rehearsing your response. Oh gosh, what am I going to say when it's my turn? And you're not even listening to those people, kind of like the numbers and the letters game that you talked yes. about earlier with listening. I, I, I was in that situation uh, not that many years ago and I caught myself rehearsing what I was going to say. And I started getting nervous and I had to stop and go, what are you doing, man? Take your own medicine here. And so, so what I did is I shifted to watching the person who was speaking before I wouldn't even listen to them. 
And not only did I listen intently, I tried to read between the lines. I tried to read their facial expressions where I was totally absorbed in what was happening right now in front of my face, you know, right here and now completely absorbed in that. And then by the time it came around to me, it's like, oh, okay, my turn. And, and a lot of that anxiety just dropped away because I was fully present, not anticipating, not churning in what might happen in the future, et cetera. A great tip just being really and also you're feeding off that same energy rather than trying to create your own yeah. that isn't keeping it consistent with what the room is because you've got now you've got anxiety and your own energy in your mind that that's going yeah very very helpful well we have talked a lot about presence today and the gift of your time and your wisdom has been a present to to me and i know to all those who who are listening I wanted to just um, ask one more thing before we, we wrap up the call. I know that you do some kind of coaching and consulting, and I think people in various stages of their career don't even realize that they need somebody to help be their guide. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I've had some, some guests on that are different kinds of coaches, all different in different areas. And I, I would love for you just to share a little bit about when do you hire an executive coach or someone to, to really guide you and in, in the work that you do, like share a little bit about what you do and when you need somebody like that in your life, Yeah, like that, if you don't mind. <laughs> sure. I, I don't know that I have a pat answer to when you need it. I think, you know, uh, I think if you're honest with yourself, you know, and then I think you also just have to, you have to experiment with this. You have to, uh, you know, it's just like a, a doctor. You go to a doctor for a, an ailment, and if you don't like your doctor, you, you need to, to go to a different doctor, you know, but you know when you need to go to a doctor. I think it's similar in, in the sense that you, if, if, if you hear the things we've been talking about today and you say, yeah, I, I do need to work on that. A lot of that you can do on your own. Absolutely. You know, there's so, so many great books out there. There's so many great podcasts, but uh, I would encourage people to think about how much value do you get out of sitting down and talking to someone one-on-one? -on -one? Mm. You know, a lot of people don't want to acknowledge this, but executive coaching to some extent grows out of psychotherapy. Uh, it's, it's creating a relationship with someone who you can be completely honest with, who you don't have to worry about being vulnerable with. You can really be vulnerable. You can really, you know, and I have sometimes with my clients and there's, there's tears and, and there's admissions of all kinds of things, you know, that, that, but, and so it's really important that, that those calls are um, uh, absolutely uh, what's the word I'm trying to say. Um, uh, uh, confidential. Uh, there's a confidentiality similar to uh, a psychotherapist. And, and, but sometimes those clients are, we just want to talk about a problem they're having with business. You know, I've got this, I've got this direct report who I'm having this problem with. I have this boss, I'm having this problem with how do you, should I deal with this? Sometimes it gets into really personal things. It, it's, it's just a variety of, of, of potential issues that you can, that I work with, with people. It really is kind of funny to me when I look at my clients, how widely it ranges Sometimes I feel like I am practicing psycho psychotherapy without a license and I have to be careful there, but, but people do open up and they, because they know they can trust me and they know this is someone I can talk to. Uh, and it's helpful to talk that out. Sometimes it's super practical and, and Hey, I've got a new boss and I want to make sure that uh, I show up well for this new boss, or I've got an interview coming up. Can you help me prepare for this interview? So sometimes it's real practical stuff. Sometimes it's, it's um, very personal stuff, but I, I wouldn't, want to give someone advice for when you know you need an executive coach, other than I think that 
most people know if they could benefit from talking with someone in a space that's completely confidential uh, and experiment. I, I say talk to several different people and you're going to know if you feel comfortable with somebody, man, then then use that resource. If you don't, move on. I think that's that's really helpful. So you said some of it's really complicated, some of it's very simple, but I think a lot of times we can't even see clearly like the choppy, yeah. the choppy waters. It's right. it's these simple things like having a conversation, but there's internal internal discussion that needs to happen for the external things to and, and let me give you an analogy in terms of what I do. I, I, you know, I'm pretty good at giving advice, but I try not to. I, my role as an executive coach, I, the analogy I like is if I were your coach, we're, we're going on a hike. You and I like nature. We like hikes. So let's use that yes. as an analogy. We're going on a hike together. My job is not to tell you where you're going. That's up to you. My job is not to tell you whether you should take the, the, uh, you know, this path to the right or that path to the left. That's up to you. But I, my, my role is to walk along beside you, help you think it through, point out things that you should consider, uh, be that person that you bounce things off of. So, so a lot of people have that misunderstanding. They think a coach is someone who's going to give you the answers, you know, sometimes, but for the most part, we don't give answers. We just help you think it through. We, um, we, we push you. We are your accountability partner. You know, I, I actually give my clients homework. Uh, and, and, and first thing we talk about when we, you know, most of them are monthly. And, and first thing on my agenda when I talk to one of my clients is, okay, last month when we talked, you said you would do this, this, and this. How'd that go? Uh, so sometimes it's as simple as that. You're paying someone to be your accountability partner. And um, and uh, but, you know, also bring some wisdom to a situation and bring some some options and to help you think through uh, how, how you want to go about doing something. And and I do use psychometrics in my coaching as well. Uh, I use something called the EQI assessment, which is a self-assessment, not a 360. That's very helpful. Uh, so a variety of tools like that. Wonderful. Uh, well, before we ask how people can find you and how they can get a hold of you, one of the really fun questions that I've enjoyed asking guests is around success, because I think it is fascinating to learn from you know, how different we all are and how success means different things in different seasons. But I think you're a perfect example of how you can be successful in so many different areas and seasons and ways and professions. And I would just, I would love to hear how you view success. When someone says like, what does success mean? Like, what's your answer to that? Yeah, well, it's definitely not material rewards. I mean, for me, uh, I think we all have to measure success our own ways. But I, I think that uh, I, I, I pin success to happiness. I think that, that you are successful if you're happy. Now, that sounds kind of cliche, but we've, we've got to really think about what does that mean? Most people are frankly really terrible at predicting what's going to make them happy. And that's why they devote so much of their life to chasing uh, material rewards, for example, uh, trying to be somebody that they're not in order to please someone else or whatever. And then, you know, on their deathbed, so to speak, they say, oh my gosh, I wish I wouldn't have you know, spend, I wish I would have, what do people say on their deathbed? They say, I wish I would have spent more, spend more time with my family and my loved ones. I wish I would have felt freer to be who I am. 
these kind of things, that's available to us right now. We don't have to get to our deathbeds to look back on our lives. If we really get real and get honest, we can look at our lives and say, what really is going to make me happy? What do I truly value? And if you can be working towards that, if you can be feeling like you're making progress there and you're truly uh, wake up in the morning and look forward to your day, you're successful. You know, that's success. That's just beautiful. That is just wonderful. (laughs) Thank you for that truth. Thank you for that reminder. And thank you for just sharing you and all your wisdom with with me today and how can people, how can people find you? How can people follow all the exciting things that you do and are doing? Well, Hey, thank you. I'm, I'm honored to, to be a guest on here. And, uh, it's, it's really cool. I, I admire, I've, I've always liked you on I like you as a student and I'm really in, uh, admiration for what you're doing now. I'm, uh, if you'll give me a second, I'm looking up my website so that people can find me because it should just be John Krychek but it's not. I think it's Crycheck Consulting. Let me let me get that URL for people. And yes. I will put all those links to in the show notes as well. See, the problem is I have I also have a musical website as well, so it's a little bit confusing, but um, let's just let's go to Crycheck Consulting and I believe that's what it is. Yes. It's just crycheck-consulting.com okay. and uh, uh, yeah, you can reach out to me there. I have a I have an online scheduler that people can schedule a free 30 minute discovery call to see if I'm somebody, you know, I mentioned earlier, I think you should shop around a little bit. If you're interested in executive coach, then, then try a few people out and see if there's this feels like someone who you could work with. And with that in mind, I've built in that free discovery call just to say, Hey, this is what I do. This is who I am. Let's talk and see if, if, uh, if I resonate with you. And if so, we'll move forward. If not, that's fine. Well, that is an, another amazing gift. <laughs> so thank you for sharing that resource. What about your music? Can we, can we follow your, your music? And, and, and also thank you for letting us share that. So something that we'll kind of wrap up with differently today is just a chance to really reflect, like we talked about in, in this episode, on music that is yours, which is mm. such a cool, such a cool treat. Oh, well, thanks. Uh, yeah, uh, my my music website is is just johncrychek.com. So one word, just one word, J-O-H-N-K-R-A-J-I-C-E-K.com. Uh, if people are on Spotify, for example, they can type in my name. I, uh, I have two bands on Spotify. You can probably get there with just typing my name, but one is Leavenworth, L-E-A-V-E-N-W-O-R-T-H. Uh, I've got three records with Leavenworth out on Spotify. And then I've got a project I call Borderline Social Club. And actually, it's called John Crycheck and Borderline Social Club. And we have one record out on Spotify and, you know, YouTubes and, and all that. It's, it's, it's so easy to flood the, the world with music these days. And, and, and I'm doing it. But I would, if people are interested in my music, I'd encourage them just to go to johncrycheck.com and, and they can link from there. Well, you have inspired me today. You have reset my both and mentality that you really can do it all and, and find happiness in the here and now. Don't, don't wait to find it. And let's all just be more aware so we can feel alive in this yes. one life we have. So and, don't, and don't waste time. Don't waste time. <laughs> it's precious. That doesn't mean you shouldn't chill out sometimes and do nothing, but do that intentionally. You know, okay, now I'm now it's downtime. Now I'm not going to think about work. I'm not going to think about this. I'm just going to chill. But that's intentional. But 
you know, don't waste time. Don't don't spend time doing things where you look back and say, what a waste that was. Time is too precious. That's good. Monica, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for, for being here. And I wish you all the best. Look forward to staying in touch to all the really exciting things that you're doing. And thanks again. So many great truths and takeaways in today's episode. What a gift. What a treat. In case you missed any of them, here they are. Number one, you can rewire your brain. You can change. Number two, why not create a practice of creating still, calm, and clear waters in those choppy parts of your life? Number three, let's use the acronym for fine, feelings inside not expressed. Let's acknowledge and create awareness with the things that are not expressed in our life. Don't neglect those emotions, but put them in their proper place. Number four, make switching costs slow in your life. Get organized in the sense that you make it easier for you to do the things that inspire or spark joy in your life. And lastly, if you can truly wake up in the morning and look forward to your day, you are successful. That is success. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for sticking around. If there's anything specifically that resonated with you in today's episode, I'd love to know. Shoot me a message over on LinkedIn or send me a DM over on Instagram. So glad that you're here. And as we talked about meditation and so much great content today, what a great treat to be able to use this time to reflect with one of John's own songs, So Long. So until next time, friends, so long. Thank you.